Hi, this is Jeff Kinley. Yeah, I read a quote today that said, no one has ever become poor by giving. And the reason that I do these podcasts is because I wanted to give you something every week that is good for your heart, good for your soul, good for your relationship with God, and wanted to continue to connect with you uh, when I'm not speaking or writing uh, somewhere out there in, in the world. And so this is my gift to you, and I hope you enjoy these podcasts. I hope that they enrich your life and make you a better human being, and most importantly, a better follower of Jesus Christ. So enjoy this gift to you. It's called the Vintage Truth Podcast. It's time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Yes, that's right. It is the Vintage Truth Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Kinley, and I'm bringing the truth of the Word of God to you, that vintage truth that God has written ages ago, the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, and it never changes. And that's the beauty of it, because living and active, the Bible says, uh, the Word of God is, and it changes us from the inside out. This podcast today, I'm going to talk about why should anyone want to be a Christian? And really wrapped within that title is another question is, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, today, the church seems so off course as to what we're communicating out there to the world. You know, there is a a PR problem I think the church has with the world today. And if you were just to ask the average person on the street, what is the purpose of the Christian church? Then obviously all these templates and preconceptions and all these um, experiences that people have had would pop into their minds and they would begin to spout off all the ways uh, or the things that they believe the church is supposed to be doing in the world. You know, when you ask the question, what is the gospel? The gospel is the mission of the church. We've been called to take the gospel to the world, but what does that actually mean? You know, in our culture today, if you look at a survey of churches, you might get the impression that really the purpose of the church is just to bring social justice to the world, you know, sort of elevate the the poor and the impoverished and got to bring everybody to an equal status and let's just help people. The church is all about helping people. And that's really kind of it. You know, we're just we're just a help organization. That's all we are. But is there something more to that? You know, other people may say, no, really, the purpose of the church today is to bring racial reconciliation into the world and into our country. You know, there's so much division there out there between white and black and and to bring also gender equality. You know, we have to become more inclusive about everything. And that's that's really the purpose because we're really off course. And not to say that the, there aren't course corrections that we should make in those areas because there are in some areas those, those kinds of injustices. Though I tend to believe that sometimes we overstate that case in order to sell a certain approach uh, that the church is supposed to make to the world. You know, the church is really not supposed to bring racial reconciliation. The gospel does that automatically. You know, when people become Christians, they become reconciled to other people who are also Christians. And so that really kind of takes care of it. It took care of itself in the New Testament. It broke down the walls between Jews and Gentiles and and Greeks and barbarians and and Scythians, all these different people. Uh, It 
it elevated the status of women naturally because of what happened uh, when Jesus had contact with women. He elevated them. He gave them dignity and worth. And the church helped women finally understand that you have a huge, massively important role to play in the life of your family, in the life of your husband, in the life of discipling your children. I mean, good gosh. I mean, why why do you want to seek something greater than to be able to disciple people? I mean, that's that's like the, I mean, why do you want to be a king if you can disciple people, right? And the gospel has done that for women. And those churches that are following the gospel are elevating women to to positions in the church where they can disciple people. That's what women are supposed to do is disciple other women, disciple younger women, and and in their families, of course, disciple their children. Uh, some people say, well, no, the, the purpose of the church is religious unity. We just need to bring everybody together. You know, all churches, that's the problem with the world today. That's the reason why no one wants to be a Christian today is because there's so many denominations out there. There are just hundreds and hundreds of denominations and people believe different things. And, you know, you go, go down the road and you've got you know, 15 churches, and they're all different. And they all have, you know, not just a different name, but maybe some of them even put what they believe on their little marquee there, uh, just so they'll, so you'll know that if you don't believe that, don't come, right? Even though right underneath it says all all are welcome. And so there's sort of an iron, ironic, you know, message there. But the point is, is that, you know, some people think, oh, we just need to all be one. Well, is that really the purpose of the church? Is for everybody to look the same, to act the same? and that we all have the exact same way that we approach uh, doing church and that type. Is that really the point, you know? Should we just lay down our doctrines and just say, okay, let's just pick a couple of doctrines and let's just kind of all go with that? Well, there's a big Bible that has a whole lot of doctrine in there that is not up for negotiation or for debate. You know, if you ask some people, what does it mean to be a Christian or why should anyone want to be a Christian? Because well, the purpose of the church is to help you have a happy life. And so really the purpose of the gospel is to make you happy. And in the consumer-driven world in which we live, sometimes that's the point. You know, churches are they're meeting on Sundays and guess what? You go and, and what do you do? You get fed maybe or get some coffee and you, then you go into the to the, uh, the room, whatever that room is called. Some people call it a sanctuary. Some people call it an auditorium. Some people call it the meeting center or the venue, you know, that type of thing. Whatever they call it, they come in there and they, they get some entertainment. They're, they're, they try to get, you know, there's a person there to try to get them pumped up for the, for the big show. Just like when you go to a sitcom in Hollywood, they have an opening act. And usually it's a comedian that comes on before the show. And his job is to get you ready for the show. And so some churches do that. They have an MC or they have a, a band that comes on that try to get you ready for the real show, which is the preaching. And so some people say, well, that's the purpose of the church. So it's there to entertain me, to make, give me a happy life, give me some positive thoughts, you know, just kind of bread for my journey kind of thing in this life that we live. And then other people actually redefine what it means to be a Christian, to adapt to changing morals and standards in the world today. So you have a lot of churches becoming what the Bible calls apostate. In other words, they're falling away from the faith because they're not preaching the gospel. They've gone in and redefined the gospel to mean something that it has never meant before. And basically, they allow the gospel to be sort of like a, um, 
Christianity is sort of like a chameleon. You know, it changes the colors to adapt to its environment. And so a lot of people say, well, that's the purpose of the church is to really just help people and, and you know, change as society changes. We kind of flow with that. Well, to understand really what the gospel is and what it really means to be a Christian and really why anyone should want to be a Christian, we have to begin at a whole different starting point. You know, there's a a popular gospel uh tract you know back when people use gospel tracts and um it begins by talking about god's love for people you know god loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life well guess what that's actually true god does love you and he does have a wonderful plan for your life but in a post-christian culture in which we live in a in a culture where people are are very morally divided we're polarized when it comes to morality we're we're are very um you know, inclusive when it comes to uh, accepting all kinds of religions and all kinds of philosophies and all kinds of views about uh, about where we came from and, and if there is even is a God kind of thing. If you begin telling someone about the gospel by saying that God loves them, their natural first response may very well be, well, which God are you talking about? Which Which God loves me? Because if you immediately talk about the God of the Bible, then they may, oh, well, well that, you know, there are other gods out there. I mean, who's to say your God is the only way? And loves me, what does that mean? Does that mean that I can do what I want, that he loves me as I am and I'll have to ever have to change? I mean, you have to define your terms here when you say in this culture that God loves you. And obviously, some people that you can't even begin quoting Bible verses to them because they don't believe the Bible. So sometimes it, it, it requires what some people refer to as as pre-evangelism. In other words, building a groundwork, building a foundation upon which then you can begin to share God's truth. And that depends on the individual person. But as we look at the world around us, and, and specifically America, we find that people are not growing up with the kind of, of basic understanding and, and God consciousness that they did a generation ago. I mean, you've seen the videos where, you know, some news guy or comedian will go interview people in the street corner and they'll say, you know, who was, you know, the 16th president of the United States or who is our current vice president or who was J. Edgar Hoover or what did George Washington do? You know, these people can't answer these questions. They're in college, by the way. They're going to colleges, but they can't answer these basic fundamental questions about history. Well, guess what? If they can't answer those kinds of questions, I guarantee you they can't answer questions about the Bible. So we cannot assume anything, but we still have to declare the gospel to people. And so declaring the truth may require you to pull over and park and pause. It's not a five-minute presentation. It could be a very long relationship with someone in explaining the gospel. But that being said, how do we explain the gospel? How do we tell people about what it means to be a Christian and why they should even want to be a Christian? Well, to understand the gospel, we don't begin with God's love, but we actually begin with God's righteousness. We declare to people, and for some people, you have to begin by just saying, there is a God, he created the world, and he is righteous. You say, well, righteous, what does that mean? Well, that means that God, in his character, has a standard of holiness, of righteousness, of justice. He is separate from who we are. He's not like us. He is transcendent. He's above us. And he's also 
uh, holy in the sense that he is not sinful. He, he does not allow sin uh, to be a part of his character because it's impossible for God to, to sin. And so those that he would welcome into his presence also cannot have sin. This is the context of the entire gospel is the righteousness of God. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, in a verse that people love to quote, but they never keep on reading the very next verse, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Oh, we've, we've heard that one before, right? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we go, see, see, the gospel, I'm not ashamed of it. It's the power of God to change everybody, Jews and Greeks. And we just stop right there. And then Paul, the very next actual next word, begins to explain what he just told you. It begins with the word for. For. It's the word, it's the word that means I'm about to explain this to you. He says, for in it, in what? In the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So the very first thing he tells us about this gospel is that it reveals the righteousness of God. So what does that mean? Well, it means that the gospel contains the the standard of righteousness of who God is and his character. It's not just his law, although it involves his, his moral standards, but it's his character alone. We're not judged just against what God has said we should do. We're judged against the very character of God himself. And so when we say that the gospel begins with the righteousness of God, we say that there is a huge standard up there that is God himself and also the the moral laws and the commandments that he has given mankind. And so that causes us to go, okay, so uh, where do we measure up against that standard? Well, fortunately for us, the Bible actually tells us where we measure up. The Bible tells us that we as humanity have rejected God and his right to be God, and we have offended his righteous character and holiness. In fact, guess what? The very next verse in Paul, in Romans chapter 1, Paul explains that. He says, for, that's another four of explanation here, he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, excuse me, and all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who are these men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So the point that Paul's making there is that we have been given God's standard of righteousness through knowing that there is this God. And we see from creation, he goes on to say, we see from creation that this God is very powerful, that he is above us, and that the natural tendency is to say, oh, wow, that I need to submit to this great God out there. But what do I know about him? Well, Scripture tells us in the very next verse, hello, verse 19, it says, for that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So what in the world did God make evident to man, to all mankind? From, you know, some Indian in the jungles of Ecuador to some guy on Wall Street. What do they all, all know? What do they both know in common? What do we have in common with these people? He says, for since the creation of the world, and by the way, it affirms that God did create the world, and according to this book, it happened in six days in Genesis uh, 
uh, chapter chapters one and two. Anyway, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, because God is spirit, his eternal power and his divine nature, watch this, have been clearly seen, having been understood through what has been made. So God says to mankind, I gave you creation as a way to say to you, look at who I am. And your response is to go, whoa, I want to know this God. And God says that not one person is going to stand before him and argue that they didn't know he existed. Not one single atheist on planet Earth is going to stand before God and say, well, I don't know. I just believe that you, you know, you didn't exist. No, sorry. Not going to be any atheist before God, obviously. Because it says in that very same verse, he says, so that with the result that they are without excuse. In other words, every person knows that there is a God. Every person knows that he is a, a righteous God because of what has been made his divine power and attributes. And that that is something that um, that is just in, within us. But we've rejected that, the Bible says. In fact, th- there are three really reasons, uh, there are three sources of condemnation that come that gives God his, his justification for, for condemning all mankind. And we find it in the Bible, obviously. In Psalm 51, verse 5, David says, In sin did my mother conceive me. I was born in sin. I'm born a sinner. I'm born inherently sinful. I don't learn to sin. I am a sinner. That's part of my my identity and my character. So from conception, really, I mean, we're born in, in this sinful state. We have a sin nature, the Bible says, but it doesn't stop there. We have this active rebellion against God because we serve ourselves. You know, people think that, you know, to be a rebel against God means you like, you know, get a tattoo of an upside down cross and, you know, you go worship at the uh, church of Satan or something, or you just, you know, paint your eyes black or something like that. That is not what it means to rebel against God. Rebellion against God looks very pretty on the outside for some people because it's all about themselves. And if a person is basically serving themselves, it is the greatest act of rebellion on planet Earth. And yet that is exactly what we see propagated and taught all across our country is to serve yourself, believe yourself, love yourself. You're worthy. All these things that we're taught in the world and even in the church today is that it's all about you. It's all about how does it benefit you? How does it benefit? What's the benefit for you? You know, the the marketing gurus tell us, they say, oh, man, you've got to tell people what's in it for them. Well, I guess you do. But the point is, is that, People are serving themselves. And so that doesn't always look, quote unquote, evil, but it is because anything other than serving God is ungodliness, unrighteousness, as it says in Romans chapter one. And so there's this this inherent sin problem. There's active rebellion. And then there's also just a passive attitude of just leaving God out of, of, of your life. In other words, just saying to God, hey, you go your way. I'll go mine. If I need you, I'll give you a call. And that was kind of my story. You know, I, I did have a lot of active rebellion, but it was really more of a passive attitude of, I just don't need you, God. I, I don't need you in my life right now. And that attitude of, or that passive attitude cause, causes us to miss out on what God actually does 
have for us. And so we begin rejecting who he is. We reject his character, his moral law, and we embrace ourselves. And the Bible says in Romans chapter one, that leaves us to a darkened mind. And we begin to speculate about all these things about life and morality and meaning and significance and purpose and all these things, relationships. We try to define the world. We try to define society, everything from a darkened mind perspective. And the problem is not only does that leave us in darkness, but that also leaves us under the death penalty. You say, whoa, 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 death penalty, what are you talking about? Hey, that's exactly what we're going to continue talking about on the next Vintage Truth Podcast. I hope you join me on Monday. We're going to tackle this subject. Why would anyone ever want to be a Christian? That's next. God bless. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.